Welcome to Boom Goddess Radio. This is Jennifer Davis Page, your host. And this is part two of an amazing story that that two of our guests are sharing with listeners from last week. We didn't quite finish the entire story, so we decided to do part two of experiences and living in and sharing experiences in an ashram. And let's get started. Shandika. Yes. Now, when, when JJ was talking about her experience arriving in India, how was your experience? Let's talk about yours. Well, my experience seemed to be very different because the minute I arrived in India, the very first time I got off the plane, I just felt I had come home. And from that moment on, I was totally in love with India. Now, I totally agree with JJ about the noise, uh, the noise factor when you're traveling in India. Everybody has, they have a horn system. It's like a language of the horns. And everybody, every vehicle, whether it be just a little, a little bicycle vehicle or whether it be a truck, they all use the horn loud. It's like a language. And it gets on your nerves. <laughs> At least it did mine. And there were many times that I had to use earplugs because it really is pretty obnoxious. And the music is also very blaring. And, um, but, and, and smells, many, many smells. And yet, everything was just so beautiful for me, even, all, even the noise. I got beyond all of that. Um, something seemed to happen to me when I got to India. And all my judgments had disappeared. There were no judgments left. And my mind had pretty much disappeared before I arrived because of this this experience I had with, with this video of Punjaji, mm. where I had this this amazing spiritual experience. And then meeting him, he just immediately just silenced my mind completely. And so traveling in India, even although it was uncomfortable and at times very painful because traveling in a bus was very, very painful. The buses were very old and the seats didn't have, the springs were all broken and the racket that goes on all the time, the, the continual music. So you, you can barely sleep. It was very, very uncomfortable. But at the same time, I saw the beauty of it. And for me, it was all joy. The whole experience going from from the difficulties I had to overcome and uh, going from village to village. Or t- I went to a I went to a, um, a camel fair in Pushkar in Rajasthan, and this was amazing because I was it was after it was just after I had left Punjaji. I went there first before I went to Raman Ashram, and I had seen it on Geograph National Geographic. And here I was walking among these sadhus and all these people trading camels. It was the most amazing experience, and I was in this blissful state at the same time. So that might have enhanced the experience, so, I'm sure. So our listeners, tell us geographically where you are. What's the closest major city? Tell, Help us understand where you are on the map now. Okay, Pushkar is a little village um, in Rajasthan. And um, I don't remember the name of the major city there. Isn't it North India? It's Northwest India. Yes. Yes, it's But northwest. it's not near Mumbai. It's not near... It's very. It's not far from Mumbai, but it's it's northwest. Okay. It's the state of Rajasthan, which is where all the nomads and the gypsies are from. 
And there was the once a year they have an annual camel fair where the nomads all bring their camels to this little tiny village, and there's a hundred thousand camels in the desert, and they trade they trade them, and then they have a celebration afterwards. And it was this camel fair that I went to before I headed down to the Raman Ashram, and I just found it a very glorious experience, and. Um, from there, I, as I said, traveling was uncomfortable because after that I had to take a bus and a, and a train, which is also uncomfortable. <laughs> traveling is definitely not not the easiest thing to do in India. I did have a little money left over, so I discovered that if I occasionally take an airplane, I fly. Air India has some very, very nice little planes, and they're not that expensive. And so I did occasionally treat myself to an air flight to avoid the long, difficult journey. Did they, did they give you those little half of sandwiches? Yes. With the cheese sandwich? Everywhere you flew was a cheese sandwich <laughs> with the crust cut off. <laughs> oh, and yes. And chewing gum before you land. Yes. <laughs> chewing gum for landing, yes. <laughs> it was. I loved flying. I loved flying in India. I thought it was a lot of fun, and I met a lot of interesting people. Well, you said you'd go back. So how, oh, how, yes, how, back. how would you do this differently? I mean... Well, times have changed, so maybe they've times got. Have changed. Yeah, so maybe the buses have air conditioning and 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 really good. Well, I have arthritis, so there's no way I'm going to go on one of those buses. <laughs> I'll have to go back with enough money to take a flight. <laughs> Did you do the trains while you were there? Oh, my God, yes, I did a train. That was hilarious because I, I got a first-class, women's-only compartment. I get in there, and two men get in and, and jump on the beds and start snoring, and they wouldn't leave. <laughs> so I had to sleep underneath one of the snoring men. Oh, in the women's-only compartment. In the women's-only first-class compartment. Oh, my goodness. As I say, traveling is challenging. <laughs> And what now, about taxis are available, readily available and inexpensive. Rickshaws. Rickshaws and taxis. Yeah. Taxis, like, um, you go to, um, uh, 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 it used to be called Madras. And I think the... Varanasi? No, it's not Varanasi. It's, uh, it's, it's, it was... It was called Madras in the old days, yeah. but that's how you you would go to Tirunamavelia to to this um, this ashram. You would go to Madras and then you would take a bus all the way, or you could take a taxi. And usually there are two or three other travelers that would go and share the taxi with you, so it made it quite inexpensive. And there were other ashrams south of the, of Madras as well that were very beautiful. Aurobindo, Aurobindo ashram. Yeah, that's a beautiful ashram. When you when you decide to go to an ashram and you decide to visit India, do they send you? I know this is going to sound like a ridiculous question, but do they send you like a travel guide? Do they tell you? Uh, you know, do they? No. <laughs> there once are you, there once, are conducted <laughs> tours to India, and you go with a group and you kind of decide what the group wants. You know, but uh, these ashrams. But, Individual people just going. It's it's you know it's individual people going. Okay, so, yeah. so you really kind of on your own. You kind of do your homework before you mm -hmm. leave. You get as many good books as you can with good maps, and at least I did. And um, yeah. I knew I was going to see Papaji. I didn't know, and I also knew I wanted to see the Camel Fair. These were the two things I knew I needed to do. I wanted to also pay homage to Osho, who had been dead for a number of years, and I went to Pune to just spend a few days at his ashram. 
Um, so these were the three things I knew. I didn't know I was going to spend six weeks at a glorious ashram in South India. That was the highlight of my whole trip. <laughs> and that's the trip that you would repeat that you're going to repeat one of well, these days. Oh, well, first then, class. So you're going to go over first I, class. I and, would go first class mm-hmm. and and go to, straight to South India. I never did make it to the Himalayas, and I've had a desire to see the Himalayas. I'm very fond of the Dalai Lama, and I would love to go up there. So you never know. Maybe I could even do a little north northern trip as well. Well, maybe that can be your next trip. Yes. That's a, that, that's a, that's and then a, fly from the north yeah, down to that, south. Because... That's an area that you've not seen yet, right? Yes, that's right. Yeah, it's beautiful. It's very, oh, very yes. beautiful in northern India. And what about you, JJ? Um, would Been you, there, done would you, that? Okay, so you're not, that's not, that's <laughs> not on I your went, bucket list right. to go back. No, the person I went with went four more times, and we were like side by side. She had a wonderful experience. I think I was anticipating, I'd been on retreats beforehand, and I was anticipating a retreat-like experience of, you know, and it, in the particular ashrams, we couldn't stay in them, but we stayed close to them. And going into the ashrams, it was very nice and peaceful and, and blissful. But they were, weren't were that many ashrams. You know, the, there was one in Ranchi that we went to. And then we went to sacred places. And the experience in the place was very nice. But I don't have any desire to go back to India. Now, people that were—I'm uh, still trying to get back to the ashrams for the six weeks in India— are, are there Americans and uh, these are people from all over the world that that come? Do you have you maintained or did you maintain a relationship with I- anybody or do you come, enjoy, pray and then go about your your lives? Nobody stayed in touch at all. Did well, you meet my anybody? my time was before computers and and before before sound Me too. Yes, yeah. I stayed in touch with a lot of the people that were with Punjaji. Um, several of them lived in Alaska and several lived here in Tucson. And I stayed in touch with them for a long time. But gradually, they started looking for other gurus once Papaji died. And I didn't because I was very happy with my experience. I was very satisfied with my experience. And I felt complete. Because what I discovered, what Punjaji taught me, and what I learned from being with him, and also being at Raman Ashram, because even although Ramana's body was no longer he was no longer in the body. His presence was very strong. And what I did learn from my guru was that that a true guru shows you your inner guru. He's just a reflection of your own guru. Absolutely. There's nobody outside ourselves. It's just us. And what I discovered from mine was the reality is you don't have to go anywhere to discover your inner guru. I had to go to India to find out I didn't need to go anywhere to find who I am. When we are ready, the guru or the inner guru will appear, and you'll know, as I knew. But do we have to travel that distance to get that? I mean, no, can no, we? No, no. All right. That's so, what I'm saying. You don't have to. Okay. All right. So now we're here in, in a beautiful uh, southern, southwest part of the United States. Can we get a little bit of that experience in this part of the world? Or what other parts of the United States can we get that kind, those kinds of experiences? I know they're not um, the same, but... Uh, there are temples, and um, if you just look, look, look up meditation and temples and things, and you'll find drawn to something. 
there's a lot of them if you're looking, and something will speak to you. Okay. Uh, also, you just, you know, there's so much on online and things that you can discover. I also, I just threw up, I have a few seconds. I also had a deep experience with, with my guru when prior to entering, I um, was with a group of people and we were s- truth seekers and we were fasting and, and going to you know, hiking and, and whatnot. And uh, one morning I woke up and I was just called to go to the waterfalls inwardly. And every, it was like the crack of dawn and I'm not a morning person, but <laughs> it was so strong that I got up and I went, it's not maybe a quarter of a mile away or something. There was this it was a river, and there are places where there are ponds. Are and you here in the United States now? Here in the United States, okay. in uh, Oregon, I believe we were. We were traveling a bit, so it could have been Colorado. I think we were in Oregon. And um, this presence called me to go to the waterfall. And I get to the waterfall, and it calls me to go I'm behind the waterfall. And there was a little ledge. I went there. And there, spiritually, I felt the presence so strong that mentally I was about, I, I, I don't know if I bowed physically or mentally, but I was bowing and I felt hands blessing me and uh, a voice telling me, you are strong. You will carry on blessed by the living waters. I don't know what it means. (laughs) 30 years, 40 years later, I'm still trying to figure it out. (laughs) But um, then later when I attended the um, ceremonies of this organization, I you know, went to something special, a special event, the birthday of, of this guru, and that was the same presence. So I felt drawn and called, and that's what I think happens to true true followers. They they are called. These are absolutely amazing stories. Did you have an, you had an experience? We've got about before I take a break. We've got about an, about a minute. Can you can you tell us about any specific experience that you've had like that? If you have had one. Well, the main experience was right after I was watching the the video of Punjaji, and I had this profound experience where I, um, I was led, I was brought into a spiral, and I, I, the spiral was going downward, and it just kept going down, and I just went with the flow, and then all of a sudden I felt a whoosh go up my spine and come out of my crown. And that's when I went into a complete state of bliss and no mind. And some people call that a kundalini experience, but I don't like using words like that. They've, they've been misused. And I, I believe a kundalini experience might be something a little different. I just call mine a profound spiritual experience. We're going to take a short break and we'll be right back with these two amazing ladies. Welcome back to Boom Goddess Radio. This is Jennifer Davis-Page, your host, here with JJ and with Shandika, two amazing women that have spent time in an ashram. And JJ has spent 30 years, am I correct? Correct. In an ashram. That's got to be, I mean, that's that's half of your life you were there. Correct again. Uh, Tell me. When you first, I know how passionate you were about wanting to to join, but did you know that you were going to, did you know that you were going to spend the 
a great part of your life there? I had planned to spend the rest of my life there. It was the plan. And why didn't that happen? Tell our listeners what what happened. Uh, Every person has a different experience. And I think we all have a different blueprint when we come into our life. And when a major event happens, I believe it's part of that blueprint. So I um, was in the ashram and things slightly started changing more and more and more to where from my perspective, what I was experiencing was no longer um, seemed to be according to the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda, the kindness, the love, the the, the thoughtfulness to one another had kind of gone away side. How long were you there when, when the change started, when you started was, recognizing a change? It was a good 15 years. All right. It was a good 15 years. And I was delighted. I had so many wonderful, wonderful experiences. And uh, I was happy with my life. I would still be there. But um, I think when I started questioning things, it became a little obvious I was questioning things. And... Um, Slowly but surely, um, I wasn't as thrilled, and I wasn't as... We, you take four vows, obedience, loyalty, chastity, uh, simplicity, and I lived those vows, very much so, but as Shante was... Wait, what's your name? Shantika. Shantika was saying, the guru does teach that there, he's a reflection and that there's this guru within you. And people were starting to say, the guru wants you to do this. The guru wants you to do that. And the guru said, I am the last in the line of gurus. There's no more after me. And it was ego. I mean, plain and simply. And I knew that. And I couldn't ignore not knowing that. So I thought, for their highest good, I shouldn't keep, you know, pandering to their egos. So I didn't because I didn't care if I was taking the next hour or not because that was something external. It was internal, which was important to me, your, your personal relationship and serving. And I thought I could continue doing that. But uh, they uh, told me that that was not going to be possible and that I had to go. So you gave them 30 years of your life and they booted you out. Yeah. Well, how did... As I said, it's, I, I, you know, I'm grateful for the experience. I have many, there are many really, really holy, sacred people there. I had the opportunity to serve saints. I really did when I was there who have passed on. And it's a, it's a growing organization and they were having growing pains. The economy went bad. I think they were looking at it from financially, what was, who was more profitable to be there. I didn't speak other languages. Um... I think there was some things said about me that weren't true and it wasn't verified. And I wasn't going to say she said, I said, you said, I, I dropped out of high school because of that. I can't stand that kind of thing. Did they pay you during that time? I know you worked there. And did, did were you on payroll? No. We did not get Social Security. You do not get, uh, you got an allowance. And when I started, it was $20 a month. And with that, you had to buy your sari. You had to buy your personal hygiene items, your, your toothpaste. Your, and people were reusing dental floss. I mean, and the, some people had money and some people didn't. Uh, they, you know, had in, parents or they had written books and they were getting some kind of, you know, thing. But um, no, 
uh, and I got a, I got a, a little bit when I left. It's very small amount. If I didn't say anything or you know say anything bad about us, were your friends and family able to send you money? Uh, oh yeah, you can send money. Did you have to give them a, a piece? No, okay, no, no. no. So you- your personal income was your personal income. They never, you know, if members gave you gifts, they might not allow you to keep it because it was a member. Okay. If you said anything. <laughs> So you did, so your your time there, you said that you did a lot, you were their chef, or you did a lot of cooking while you were there? That was Is that I, pretty much all that you did oh, during heavens, your time? Oh, no. No, that was just before I entered, because that was a paid position. I see. Uh, the, while I was there, I was a florist. I actually made arrangements for um, uh, well-known people, and um, there was a lot of events. There was a chapel. They had... Lots of events, specialists, you know, the Maha Samadhi services, the birthday services, Easter, Christmas. And I worked in personnel, which now is human resources. I worked, oh, no, I'm just kidding. I I did all kinds of different jobs there. Uh, And and then I was 15 years in in the um, retreat part of it. And there uh, I led chapel, I led retreats, I led um, tours, and I had people who had been coming for years and years and years say I gave the best tour talks. Had they not ended your your stay with them, would you still be there? I had wanted to be there, but I did not have that option. And is this something... Did, did your age have anything to do with you being I'm asked to I'm a leave? little suspicious of that. I was beginning to get arthritis, and I couldn't do as much as I used to. And I had noticed, I'm observant, I'd noticed a lot of people getting later in years were suddenly gone, and they're just told, oh, well, they left. Well, they left. Well, you'd never know who really left and who was told to leave. And if you're a good disciple, then you don't question it. That doesn't sound like... You know, from all the from all the wonderful words both of you have said about ashrams, that doesn't sound like what they should have been doing in terms of just. It could have been my karma. Uh, I'm I've learned so much afterwards too. It's like I got an opportunity to live a whole nother life, which I wouldn't have had. I've been to beautiful places um, and had wonderful experiences. I'm not bitter. I, I still attend uh, the services, especially the all day meditations. Um, so no regrets at all. No, I did the best I could. Shantika, you said that you had some books you'd like to have our listeners um, oh, uh, yes. um, uh, get information on. Do you want to share those so that if we have any listeners that are interested in um, the life in an ashram or, or considering right. considering it? Um, can you share some information? Yes, I will. Um, the gentleman that that pa- Papaji had asked me to give a note to when I got to the ashram, his name is David Godman. Uh, he is a very prolific writer, and he has written a, a, a lot of books about Papaji, about Ramana. He's written several books on Ramana's teachings, and he's written books on other enlightened masters. 
and he lives he lived at the ashram back then and he still does to this day and he he is actually on YouTube you could find a lot of beautiful things by him on YouTube he'll talk he talks about his life with, with at the Raman ashram he talks prolifically about it and he'll describe it and he'll talk about his his experiences with Papaji and he gave me two books when I met him one was called be as you are, which is an excellent book on the on, on Ramana, and he also gave me a book called No Mind, I Am the Self. This is a wonderful book. It's a love story to do with um, one of Ramana's disciples who lives next door to Ramana's ashram, and his, he got himself a disciple, a young girl who just fell madly in love with him, but he saw her potential to become enlightened, and so he adopted her. Give us the name of the book again slowly so yes. our listeners can can find it. Well, the first book that I definitely recommend is Be As You Are. It's a fabulous book about... Be, be uh, As You Are. And this okay. is about Ramana Maharshi, about his teachings and about the ashram. And then the second book he gave me was No Mind, I Am the Self. And at the time I was there, he had just written that book, and he didn't. He had only published it in India, so he didn't have any American copies yet. But he gave me a copy that he had had published, and it's a fascinating story. And not only is it a love story, because this girl just fell madly in love with him. I think she was like fourteen when he met her, thirteen. But he saw that she had the potential to be enlightened, so he adopted her. And she, in turn, she did become enlightened despite herself, but she just wanted to worship this man. And, um, and it's a fabulous story. And they're together still. He's an old man now, and she's a young woman still. She's a lot younger than him. And they're still together. But the thing that I liked the most about that book was because he completely describes the whole experience of enlightenment and the different stages a person can go through to experience enlightenment. Because there are a lot of people today who are self-acclaimed gurus and who think that they're enlightened. And what he discovered, what I discovered with my travels and with my experiences was that there's when you when you truly are enlightened there's nobody left to be to say that you're enlightened and the people who say they're enlightened to me are not they're on the path to enlightenment and he, and in that book no mind i am the self he describes the different paths that we go on the different experiences we have he even described that experience i had my profound experience and to me that was me definitely being on the path that was the beginning St dropping the mind is the beginning but it's not the whole experience and a lot of people think it is but I love that book because it really educated me to the different stages that we go through as we evolve towards enlightenment if we have listeners that really can't they don't have the time nor the finances right now to go to India right are there places they I know they can go to uh, to Google and find an ashram in the United States, um, are there are there quite a few around uh, America? I believe there's a lot of ashrams in America. Yes, and I also think that YouTube has a lot of wonderful teachers and def different teachings, depending what a person would would you know 
So if we were to go onto YouTube, what are you suggesting? Where where do you let's let's even spell the word ashram for our listeners? Yes, it's, it's, so they'll they'll know where to look and yes, how a, to find it. A S H R A M, ashram. And then they can just go on YouTube and Google Ashram. Google Ashram, and and a lot of things will come up. They'll they'll find a lot, and a lot depends on their own on their own following and their own feelings. They'll be drawn to whatever teaching they 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 feel an affinity for. Okay, and are they expensive? I have no idea. Some I've, are, some are. Some charge, but the true guru in the, in the old days never charged. I never, it was never any money involved when I went to see Pundaji. He wouldn't accept money. And at Raman Ashram, he, he did accept some donations from some of his d- devotees, but he didn't want money. The money was not an object. It wasn't something that the true guru was offering something for. I see. We have just a few minutes. Uh, JJ, do you want to say uh, 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 anything else to our listeners? You might know a little more about about ashrams <laughs> and what people could look for than I well, do. I need to thank the two of you for being here, and I appreciate you so much. For more information, visit our website, boomgoddessradio.com, and follow us on Facebook, Boom Goddess. We'd love to hear from you. Your interest powers our programs.